Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a good Wednesday morning. They call it hump day for a reason. Casey McCollister, Paul Fritchner, Brandon Seho, how are we looking, boys? Wednesday it is. Five, four days away, five days away from game day. Oh, we're, we're looking good, Tom. Well, for you, it's game day today. We'll it is, to absolutely. Uh, we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock in the morning to noon Eastern. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask, if you would, please subscribe to the program. You can also find us on Facebook. Casey and Paul are big on Facebook. We're streaming there on our Chatterbox Sports page. Flip the notification switch on, if you would, please. If podcast is more your cup of tea, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Bengals getting dialed in today, back on the practice field, preparing for Sunday's showdown in Buffalo. It's going to be mayhem there. Still no word as to if Jonah Williams or Alex Kappa can make it back from their injuries. Now, we know that Max Sharping will start at right guard if Kappa can't go, but what about left tackle? Been a lot of talk about that. Jackson Carmen, do they move Adenogy over and start or activate Isaiah Prince, a former Buckeye tackle? Sunday's game is set for 3 o'clock in Orchard Park, and the big news yesterday, of course, which both of you are very happy about, Nansen Romo. Oh, on the call. Thrilled. God, that's terrible. Thrilled. What do you mean that's terrible? <laughs> oh, it's your number on. one team. Hit the hit the one button. Hit the Oh brother, this guy stinks. He stinks. You're not talking about Jim Nance. No, I'm talking about Romo. Romo stinks. Boy. He's terrible. Boy. He wasn't up on a stink list yesterday. I'm gonna put him on there now. <laughs> <laughs> very bottom stench stinky lots of college football news and notes i tell you it's a really interesting situation down at the university of florida where star quarterback recruit initially committed to miami of florida changed his mind to come to the university of florida he's out of california young man named jason rashada he wants out of his national letter of intent after an NIL agreement of nearly $14 million has fallen through. There's talk that there could be a lawsuit here. And boy, could that open a can of worms in the college football world I'm not sure anyone saw coming. Stay tuned. Michigan co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss, he came to Michigan from the Ravens two years ago has been placed on leave after university police confirmed an investigation is underway over computer access crimes that occurred in December at the school's athletic facility. We don't talk about tennis much, but number one seed Rafael Nadal is out at the Australian Open. The 36-year-old injured his hip during his match last night. He was in search of his 23rd Grand Slam title, that is the most of all time. College basketball, call and Paul and Trace called it. Game of the night went down in Manhattan, Kansas. Number 13, Kansas State knocked off rival number two, Kansas. It was a thriller in overtime. 
Don't look now, but here come the big blue. Kentucky, Cal. <laughs> Beat Georgia 85-71 on the heels of that big win at Tennessee over the weekend. Toledo, it had to be a terrible officiating night. Defeated Ohio University. Miami falls at home to Northern Illinois, and Dayton rolled over Davidson 68-61. The Flyers are 13-6 on the year. Tonight, Paul, number eight, Xavier. Goes on the road to DePaul. DePaul stinks, right? They're, they stay. They stink. They stink, but they're not Georgetown. They got athletes. They can play. They're not Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown is – well, I say that. Georgetown's got athletes, too, and they just it's, – it's mind-boggling to me that Georgetown hasn't won a game because – this Georgetown team is better than the last couple of years, and they still can't figure out a way to win. DePaul is not quite that. DePaul beat Villanova. DePaul did beat Georgetown. Villanova they, stinks. They're, yeah, they're bad. They're bad. Very Hard good. to believe. Hard to believe. I mean, can can a coach make that big of a difference? Well, it's it's partly the coach, and it's partly that they're missing two of their best players. Okay. Well, well they that are, explains They that. are missing their best player. Um, and, but to me, the biggest thing with that is – they knew he was going to be. He tore his Achilles last year in the Elite Eight, and they didn't go out and, and get anybody in the transfer portal for that hey, position. Hey, Marty, can you hear me? So I, I thought that was kind of, you know, I don't know. I, okay. I, weird. But anyway. All right. That's that. So, yeah, uh, Xavier in Chicago. That's right. Elsewhere, uh, UC plays at South Florida tonight yep. in American Conference play. A reminder, big program today, Kenny Anderson, one of the all-time great Bengals. An argument can be made he is the greatest all-time Bengal. Now, that might change moving forward, but he's already in the ring of honor. You know, it's interesting, um, as we bring in the Hall of Famer, Marty Brenneman, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, uh, before we get to you and where you are, but when you yes. went to a Bengals game earlier this year, you said it was the first game you had been to, a Bengals game, since 1975. I believe you said it was the Monday night game against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I was researching a little bit last night. That was the first time the Bengals had ever won on Monday Night Football. And Kenny first Anderson time they ever played on Monday Night Football. Gotcha. And Kenny Anderson threw for ne nearly 450 yards in that game. It was, uh, and I don't disagree with you. I think right now as we talk today, um, there is no question that he's the greatest quarterback in the history of the, of the Cincinnati Bengals. And further, it's some, and from, my, from my perspective, it's criminal that he's not in the National Football League Hall of Fame. Um, I have a hard time grasping why he's not in there. And I think, obviously, eventually he will be there. But I think it'll be long overdue when it happens. But, yeah, that was the uh, – when I went to see – a man and I went to see Kansas City – the Chiefs and the Bengals a few weeks ago, that was the first time I'd seen the Bengals play at home since that game against uh, O.J. Simpson and the Buffalo Bills. You know, you bring up the Hall of Fame, Dad, and, uh, and I worked with the guy. You got to know the guy very, very well, Ron Santo, right? And yes. here was a guy that, uh, I mean, if there was a guy deserving of the Hall of Fame like Kenny Anderson, it was Ron Santo. They don't put him in until after he dies. Now, Kenny Anderson, is, is, by all accounts, very healthy. Ron Santo was suffering from debilitating diabetes, which he had had since he was 17 years old. Um, but, you know, I, I know you're not tuned in uh, necessarily to the guys who vote. You probably know some of them, but the but, but guys who vote for the Hall of Fame. When Ken Anderson retired, he had the seventh most passing yards in the history of the NFL. 
Now, for a long time, they said, well, if you don't win a Super Bowl, you have a hard time getting in. And that was true for a lot of those great Minnesota Vikings players that never won the Super Bowl. They got to a few of them, but lost. Um, is there any way to explain how guys like Santo and Anderson, and you're more in tune with the baseball thing, how guys slip through the cracks for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years? Uh, I, I, I want to be dead honest, and, and, I, and you know, I'm sure that there are guys, uh, and you know a lot of these guys too, Tom, because they're the Baseball Writers Association of America are the guys who vote in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know who votes for the NFL Hall of Fame, uh, but it's, it's, it's writers. And, and I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, that uh, I'm not implying in any way this reflects poorly upon or implicates Ron Santo and, and Ken Anderson, but I know I think a lot of guys had personal grudges against certain guys uh, as far as the Baseball Hall of Fame is concerned and, and allowed those personal feelings to enter into uh, their assessment of a player's uh, career numbers and whether or not he should be allowed to be voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, aside from that, I, I don't know. Um, although I think there are guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame that should not be there. Uh, we talk about Ron Santo. Ron Santo should have been voted into the Hall of Fame uh, from from my perspective long before he finally did. Uh, but I think there are a lot of guys, as far as baseball is concerned, that are not in the Hall of Fame that should be today, a lot of them. Um, and, and it seems like gradually, you know, we're getting to the point where some of those guys are now finally getting in. Jim Cott should have been in a million years ago and just got in a few years ago. Uh, Fred McGriff, I think, is going in this summer. Uh, I felt like Fred McGriff was a Hall of Famer a number of years ago and, and, and didn't get a look. And all of a sudden now he's been voted in. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a it's a very uh, interesting topic and it's a topic that creates a lot of conversation among fans, whether you're football or bas baseball fans. But I, I, I wish I had a concrete answer for why these guys are slipping through the cracks and those that obviously should be or not, whether it be football, baseball, or basketball, for that matter. Well, the one guy I want to ask you about uh, as it pertains to baseball, he's on the ballot again in 2023, and he spent a small portion, although a uh, highly productive and influential portion of his career, with the Reds is Scott Rowland. Now, no in, in my opinion, you know, Rowland is a lot like Santo. They were both great leaders. Uh, both hit over 300 home runs. Uh, both had over 2,000 hits. Both knocked over, you know, 12, 1,300 runs driven in. Uh, yet, uh, you know, Santo went forever and a day. Roland's momentum seems to be building and building a little bit more. Is he a Hall of Famer for you? Uh, is, it, hands down. Without any argument. Um, I don't care what these uh, – naysayers would throw at me from a statistical standpoint. I would say I'm not interested in that. I was around him as you were, um, and, and, I'm, and I felt privileged to have been around him for but of all the years that he played with the Philadelphia Phillies and, and then finally came to the Cincinnati Reds and the time he spent with his club. Uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. The thing that bothers me is that with the advent of analytics and, and with more and more people with zero background in baseball uh, get involved in, in important positions in Major League Baseball 
then now you have the influx of writers who uh, are tuned in in the same manner. And what worries me about some of these guys that you mentioned, Roland, and I think Scott will get in, um, but there are other players that would have numbers that would be contrary to everything that the analytics people think of. Uh, maybe you don't have enough walks, you know, uh, and, and all the other numbers that, that go into their way of thinking as to whether a guy is a good player or not. And I'm afraid that they will judge guys like Roland who played back there before the advent of analytics and, and, and keep them, uh, I'm talking to writers now, because there are a lot of writers today already who are big analytics guys. Um, and, and so I'm afraid they'll judge certain players, whoever they might be, um, you know, based on their thinking uh, as far as the analytics are concerned and, and not cast a vote for them. That's That worries me a little bit because they are what they are, those guys. And and they may say, well, you know, he played back in 1973 or four or five or 65 or whatever the case might be. And he didn't do this. He didn't do this. He didn't do this. Judging those guys by what he thinks guys who are really good players are doing today from a statistical standpoint. That worries me a little bit. Well, uh, you know, he's on now, he being Roland. He has uh, moved on to that, um, you know, that, that um, you know, whether he's going to find out in a week. Uh, there are other guys yep. on there like Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, great closer, Andrew Jones, great player for a long, long time offensively and defensively. So there's some big names on that ballot. You are yep. in, um, in Arizona. I am. And how's it Cold going out Arizona. there? What are you doing? Cold Arizona. Oh, okay. Um, well, the players were, uh, you know, the campers, as they are referred to, um, have not been able to get on the field and play baseball until yesterday afternoon because of, at times, torrential rains uh, here mm. in Arizona, That those rains that moved east from uh, California. God bless those people out there. And uh, so they finally got on the field and played a couple of games yesterday. They're going to play today. They're going to play tomorrow and uh, whittle down the number of teams until they play the championship game on Friday morning. Um, it's, it's a great event. I, uh, Amanda and I, second year in a row we've been here. It's, uh, it's just, it's incomprehensible to explain to people until or unless you, whoever you may be, have been here before and are watching this show today. It's it's a coming together of guys from all over the country. And, uh, you know, they just have an incredible time. You've got former Reds uh, who have come in as instructors in the week-long event. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just something that you look forward to every year. And uh, I did a Q&A for... Uh, the campers yesterday, and uh, they've got Kangaroo Court tonight, which is one of the great events yep. that anybody's ever heard. It's unbelievable. I mean, they they find you for breathing or, or burping in the middle of a <laughs> sentence. They find all sorts of – and uh, and the the all the money raised uh, from the uh, from the Kangaroo Court go to Wounded Warriors, uh, the foundation that Doug Flynn is so heavily involved in. Uh, for uh, former service men and women, um, and so it's it's just spectacular. I, I I have a hard time telling people how wonderful it is because it's really something that once you come to, you want to figure out a way to come back year after year after year. And by the way, uh, I renewed old acquaintances, and I've laughed 
steadily for three days at one of the finest people I've ever been associated with in baseball, who we both think highly of. And the first thing he said to me was, be sure and tell Tom I'm thinking about him. And that's your good friend and mine, Lenny Harris. Oh, man. He is the greatest. <laughs> I just wish that guy would have had a chance to play for the Reds uh, over over a longer period of time. Because uh, yeah. there's there's nobody like that guy in the world. Uh, you know, everybody made fun of him. And back in the old days uh, on, on local radio, there were, there were clips. And they'd string together a bunch of clips about defensive plays that he didn't make. And then he moved on to become the all-time <laughs> pinch hits leader. But, man, that guy... I always thought Daddy'd be a great major league manager. He was coaching for a long time. Well, he still is. Yeah. He's, he'll be at Daytona this summer. He he still is, and and I don't. I agree with you a hundred percent. He he would be an outstanding major league manager, um, but his humor is just <laughs> unparalleled. I mean, uh, we sat in a room yesterday. Amanda and I did a conference room over at the Reds Complex. And it were all these guys, Roddy Oster and Aaron Harang and Tommy Hume and, and Eric Davis and uh, all these guys were sitting in there and he and Joe Oliver were holding court. And it was the funniest thing that you ever heard for a good 35 or 40 mm. minutes telling stories of playing in the minor leagues. And um, he's just a joy to be around. And, and I'm thrilled to death that he's here. I hope he's here every year now that I come because I – I, I, do, I love the guy. He's one of my all-time favorite players, and he has a wealth of baseball knowledge that he imparts upon these young guys who are trying to get out of the minor leagues and getting to the big leagues. And uh, But that's the first thing he said to me. He said, you tell Tom I said hi. I, I just I, – I, I love the guy, and I truly mean it. Um, the uh, Reds Caravan, uh, you are going to be a part of that. You're going to be a part of the North Tour. Stops in Columbus. Correct. Lima, which is always a huge stop, and we talked about the uh, National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio. You're going to be there yes. uh, the final weekend of January. Uh, you know, one yep. thing I want to ask you about, that, and, and look, uh, you know, I, I know everybody has different things going on, but I was saying it when I was working with the team. The one thing I always admired about Brandon Phillips, Jay Bruce, Todd Frazier, and there are others. I don't mean to leave names off that list. But even after they had established themselves as major league players, if not major league stars in all three of their cases, uh, they still made time to go on the Reds' caravan. Uh, the team released, a, uh, you know, who was going for this year, and... You know, if I'm running the Reds, and look, we know there's a lot going on with the Reds, and we're not getting into all that necessarily, but if there was ever a year where, you know, I'm a player for the team, and I know what we're going through as an organization and all that kind of thing, I just feel like it would have been nice to see some guys that are bigger names on this team. They don't have a lot of them, but that are bigger names of this franchise because it's set up now where you don't have to go out for three or four days you know, uh, the entire time. I mean, you can go out for a couple of days. You know, even in some cases, they'll let guys pop in for a couple of stops. Uh, but, you know, no India, no Stevenson. It's not that they have a lot of big names. No Vado. I'm not sure he, he's ever gone on the tour, going back to even his first or second year. But I, I, I just think it would really help the franchise with all they're going through to have some of those bigger-named bigger guys. They don't have many of them. 
I don't disagree with you at all. I can remember back when I came with the club in 74, and when they started it, it was only one bus, and it was going out for, I don't know, a couple of days, but nothing extravagant like they've done it in recent years. Uh, and and they it was not unusual to have Pete and have Bench and, and, and people like that going out on the caravan. I, I just think it's a different breed of player today. Uh, I think players feel like that's beneath them. Um, uh, I'm sure the, they would say, well, that's not true. You know, the club contacted me and I had something already to do. But it's a simple case of knowing uh, when a baseball season ends that generally speaking, when that caravan is going to be anyway. I mean, normally it's the last week at last week of uh, January or it's a week two. It's three weeks before the Super Bowl. They, they try to uh, shy away from that. And that's understandable. Um, I don't I, I just I have a hard time understanding why uh, certain players on this club that have some notoriety can't spend uh, two days um, going out and, 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 and connecting with fans. Uh, there are so many that want to connect with fans when it's convenient for them, but uh, that's when it stops. If, it, if there's any inconvenience on their part, then they they uh, they uh, say, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. Uh, I think it would really help this club. It's unfortunate that they don't have bigger names uh, among the, the ones that have some notoriety on this club. It's such a young team, but I don't disagree with what you say at all. And, you know, Dad, I always felt like, and I can only speak for me personally, um, it's easy to get wrapped up in that, that cocoon um, where you're in a big league city, you have all the, the, the things that come with, with being a big league player or broadcaster. Let's be honest about it. I mean, you get spoiled rotten. You're traveling on charter planes. You've got buses picking yes. you up on the tarmac. You're not going through airport security, blah, blah, blah. You do have security, but it's not airport security like the rest of us go through. But the point I'm making is, is that I just felt like it really grounded you in a lot of ways. And I can only speak for me. I felt like when we got out there, you were meeting people, and they could be a guy who, who's in his tractor out on his farm somewhere in, in, in northern Ohio. It could be some guy who's a plumber in, in, in Marion, Ohio, who's driving around listening to the Reds game. Guy who drives a tow truck could be anything or anybody. Uh, but how important Reds baseball is to those people, I just felt like it was good for me. I can't speak for anybody else. What about you? No, I felt the same way. And I think what it does is it, it makes them understand or, or come to the realization if they have not already come to that concerning a certain player or players that this guy is willing to make a minor sacrifice, if you will, in getting on a bus and, and riding around to uh, places that are very vital uh, people and, 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 and towns in so much as a Reds network on both radio and TV, that you would show up and you would sign autographs and pose for pictures and shake hands and talk to people. Um, some of the guys, you know, they're guys that come through here. Uh, and uh, and it's probably, I don't know, it's, I'm sure it's true in Chicago, the Cubs, uh, whether if the Cubs have anything like this or some of the other teams that may, that you have players that come through your franchise and spend years there and never go. Um, and I have a problem with that. I truly do. Why don't you give something back when it inconveniences you a little bit? That is, if you live somewhere other than Cincinnati and you have to fly in at club expense and get on a bus and spend two days and get off the bus and be taken to the airport and fly back to where you came from. 
I simply have a hard time understanding. And you mentioned uh, a couple of guys that that religiously went on it. Brandon Phillips rarely ever missed one. Uh, you know, you can like him or not like him. I, I could, I don't give a damn. But I guarantee you one thing: the guy went out and he he did things to promote the ball club. And and Jay Bruce was just as religious in terms of if the club wanted him to come, that he would be more than happy to show up. And there were others. So no, I it, it it'd be hard for certain players to explain to me. Well, I it was never. I always was busy when they came around uh, because you can make sure if you're not busy, if you're sincere about going on it, by knowing that it's generally, as I said earlier, the last week in January. It's very simple. Very simple. And in fairness, uh, because I mentioned a couple of names, uh, uh, you know, Votto and Stevenson, these guys are coming back from very serious injuries. And so, yep. you know, uh, you know, the, 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 you got to take that into account in some of their rehab and, and all those kinds of things. But um, all right. Well, uh, you'll be coming back to Cincinnati when? Well, we're leaving here on um, Saturday. And we are driving to Anaheim, and we're going to spend three days in Disneyland. Wow. I'm a big fan. Well, Amanda's a huge Disney uh, fan. I am a big, huge Disneyland, and I emphasize the last, L-A-N-D, Disneyland fan. I went uh, once a few years ago with Amanda, and I was blown away by the convenience of it. Uh, All the hotels are inside the park. Uh, The history of Walt Disney building that place eons ago is is uh, pervasive. Um, so we're going to be out there for three days, and then we're going to be coming home uh, next Thursday. Yes, next so, week from tomorrow. So, so you know, I, I think people have a picture in their mind when you say that you and Amanda are going to Disneyland. Does what that mean you get on rides and all that kind of thing? Some of them, yeah. So, I mean, like the, 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 the teacup spinning around and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That I, all... get a... I don't know that I get on the teacups. <laughs> I don't know that. But I'm also a Universal fan. That's the one thing yeah. about Orlando. Yeah. Because I'm the reason why I'm a Universal fan is I'm a big Harry Potter fan. I've read all the books. I've wow. seen all the movies. It's one of the great things. J.K. Rowling is an incredible woman with an amazing mind to concoct a story about Harry Potter and all the things that he went through in that fantasy world. So I like I like Universal because of Potter, but I'm really looking forward to going back uh, uh, to Disneyland, and that will be uh, we'll drive there Saturday. Yes. Well, uh, that's uh, that's big news. I, I think you got to get some uh, some video of uh, you riding one of the rides. I think that that, that would be good for would it make- guys. You agree? Ham and Eggers would love to have that. Am I right, guys? Come on, Marty. Let me ask you guys a question. Would it be? Would you Uh-oh. be satisfied if Amanda took a picture of me in a teacup? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That checks the box, Marty. That works. Checks the box. Now, if they have that now, I'm not sure they have that, but if they, but we'll find something equally as ridiculous, and we will send a picture, Tom, to your phone, and you can post it for your fans upon receiving it the first part of next week. Okay. One fan wants to know, and I know nothing about Harry Potter. 
Harry Potter. Okay. I, I don't. I've never seen the movies. Never read the books. No, nothing. Okay. You can do yourself a favor. Read the books. But go I, ahead. Okay, I will. But someone wants to know, and correct me if uh, if this is wrong. Everett wants to know: Was Dumbledore a horrible person? Dumbledore was a good guy. No, he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. That's right. Who okay. said that? Did you say that, Paul? Yeah, we both, Casey and I both did. Yeah, he's a good guy. So you guys are somewhat familiar, right? Oh, yeah. I, I've read all the books. I've seen all the movies. It's the classic, you know, 10 o'clock at night. It's on Bravo. You stop and you watch the movie. When's the Harry Potter that, You watch him over and over and over again. But, you know, see, Everett's tried to trick me because he wanted me to say, well, no, Dumbledore was a bad guy. And Dumbledore <laughs> was a really good guy. So, okay. Everett, don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the majority of the chat, and, and there are hundreds and hundreds of them in right now, all they want is a picture of you wearing uh, the mouse ears. <laughs> I can see it, the they black cat with the mouse ears, that kind of thing. It, 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 could that happen? Yeah, I book it. Book it. <laughs> if they want a picture of me in mouse ears, I will certainly comply with that wish if that is the consensus yes. of the people that would like to see me in a certain pose or whatever on pictures. I will I will get a pair of uh, uh, mouse ears, and Amanda will take the picture. I'll send it to you. You can post it. That's a deal. That's and fantastic. by the way, one of our other chat uh, members, Sir Boy Wonder, who's a regular on here, he said Everett for asking you that question should be officially banned from the chat never, and the program. Never be allowed to, to, to call and ask a question because that qualifies as a stupid question. And, <laughs> one to, and here's why it's stupid, because he did it with the intent of trying to trick me. And I don't. What do you, like what do you mean? Tricked. I don't. For, for those for those who don't know anything about it, how would that be a trick? Because Dumbledore was a great person. He was a he was a he was a legitimately great wizard, and 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 for him he and, and believe me when I tell you, Everett knew the answer to the question before he asked me, and he tried to imply to me, thinking maybe I don't know anything about Harry Potter, that. I didn't know, and so I was going to take a guess and say, "Well, he was a good guy." And he would say, "No, he and he was a he was a." I've said it was a bad guy. He say, "No, you're wrong. See, you don't know anything about Harry Potter." So the hell with it. Well, Everett just as one final comment. He says, "You know, look, I wasn't trying to do that." He says, "Dumbledore literally put Harry's life in danger every single school year." That's what he said. There were extenuating circumstances in every. <laughs> aspect of the series in which Dumbledore would, I won't argue with the fact that he would periodically put Harry in precarious situations, but there was always a reason for it. And Harry loved Dumbledore till the end. Okay, there you have it. I mean, if you can't have it all covered here on Off the Bench <laughs> between Scott Rowland for the Hall of Fame, right? Kenny Anderson, the Bengals in 75 beating the Bills on Monday night, and learning all you need to know about Dumbledore. Bingo. Does it get any better than that? No, Read it does books. not. <laughs> Read the books. All right. All right. Um, all right, boys. All right, Dad. Have a great day out there in Arizona. We'll see you soon. I'll be chatting with you, Tom. All right. We love you. Have a good day. Love you, too. 
How All about right. that, fellas? How about that? I mean, there you go. Are you guys Harry Potter guys? Oh, absolutely. Ma- massive. I love Harry Potter. Dumbledore's yeah. the GOAT. Yeah, he's the Ever best. over here. He's the best. He's I a hater. You know, MJF Bengal says that Joe Burrow says he was scared of Harry Potter movies growing up and admits he still cannot watch them. Oh, they're in the I Harry- mean, that's a guy in your generation, fellas. He yeah. says no. So the Harry Potter movies, like I said to Marty, they are the generic, you know, whether it's Bravo or sci-fi or whatever channel it is. Generally, there's a Harry Potter marathon maybe once a week, once every other week. And I'm sitting there at night and I'm flicking through, you know, all the college basketball is done. It's, it's 11 o'clock, you're winding down. Man, there's Harry Potter, number seven. I'm leaving it on and I'm watching it through. I've, I've legitimately probably seen Harry Potter number seven just on TV reruns 25 times in the last year. Oh, my part God. One part two. Part two. It's always part two. Part two. It's just an automatic play. You just don't skip it. It's great. Now, Alex wants to know, Casey, and, and by the way, we have Ken Anderson coming up in about uh, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, she wants to know about Johnny Five. Who is Johnny Five? Um, uh, do you remember the childhood show, Johnny Five, the like short circuit no. movie? It, My childhood was at a different time, <laughs> Casey, than yours. It was about 30 years before. So please, Johnny Five was not born yet. <laughs> well, I was watching the Jeffersons and all in the family. You're watching Johnny Five. Go ahead. Well, this is like the child's version of the Terminator. Okay. And and animated deal? No, no. This is a real life like remote controlled robot that they made for this movie. But he was he was Johnny Five is this military grade robot with like a rocket launcher on his arm, and he gets struck by lightning and becomes alive. He he's a, a real life robot that has feelings and can express himself. Oh God, you're so, looking it up. Right I've now. never heard of I've never heard of this. But it's from the movie Short Circuit. Yes. So the movie is not Johnny Five. It's Short Circuit. It's short Circuit. This yeah. movie came out in 1986. Yeah. And my. It's right up your wheelhouse, Tom. Well, maybe it is right up my wheelhouse. I'm not so sure. I'll have to check it out sometime. It terrified me. Never heard of it. Short Circuit, 1986. 1986. I was a senior in college, boys. And there was a lot of circuit going on, but it wasn't Johnny Circuit Five. I can tell you that. Were you an Andy Griffith guy? I loved him. I used to see him. I worked every summer as a kid. I've told this story before, I think, on the show. Uh, My grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, uh, had a small little place down in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And my grandfather's best friend owned a grocery store down, the only grocery store at the time. This is going back to the 1970s. I was in, I was 14 and had a chance to go to work in the grocery store as a 14-year-old. So I'd go down and live with my grandparents every summer. Uh, and Andy Griffith lived in the Outer Banks. He'd come in the grocery store two, three times a week. Saw him for like 10 years. No way. Yeah. Yeah. He really wasn't very nice. Oh, no. Yeah. He really wasn't a very nice guy. Oh. Uh, and I don't, I don't like saying that about, about, about guys who are dead. But, I mean, you know, look, he, he's walking in a pair of flip-flops and T-shirt and a pair of shorts. You know, you're thinking it's Andy Griffin, nicest guy in the world on television. And I just, you know, not that he was an evil. I don't, I don't mean that. Just, you know, be a little nicer to the, to, the, to the guy who's cutting the meat. 
right? Be a little nicer to the person who's bagging the groceries. Oh, no. You know? It's not what doesn't I want take, to hear. Doesn't take much. It broke my heart because mm-hmm. I love that show. What about Gomer? Gomer, leader of men. Gomer Pyle. Him and Otis. Leader of men. Otis. All right. Um, <laughs> do we have any connection yet with Kenny? Not yet, right? He, he just actually emailed and said that uh, he would join our show. Okay. Now, uh, I know we've gotten off sports a little bit here, but look, it's, it's a pretty light day. I mean, we, we still have five days away from the Bengals. Uh, we know that Xavier and UC are both playing college basketball tonight. Uh, we expect to, to have more information on where the Bengals are from an injury standpoint, especially that offensive line. What might or might not happen, who will play, who might not play uh, in the game in Buffalo. A very interesting article, and again, I give them pub, but Paul Daner Jr. in The Athletic today writes about uh, the comparisons of Joe Burrow and his offensive line this time a year ago going to Tennessee where he got sacked nine times compared to Burrow going to Buffalo this year in the same round of the playoffs and how he... And the team is better equipped to handle this. He understands defense is better. One more year of experience. Getting rid of the ball quickly. How he's handled pressure from opponents this year. Ravens only pressured uh, 25% of the time. And that was their norm in the game last uh, Sunday. But we're going to talk to Kenny Anderson about a multitude of topics. The current Bengals. Joe Burrow. The Hall of Fame. Um, and growing up in Batavia, Illinois, where he went on to tiny little Augustana and winds up being one of the great Bengals of all time. Right now, the greatest Bengal quarterback of all time. Joe Burrow certainly has a chance to change that too. I think we all agree universally, without a doubt, the greatest Bengal of all time is the only Bengal in the Hall of Fame, and that would be Anthony Munoz. No doubt. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Hopefully on the other side, we have Ken Anderson with us. And it's time now for the Ham and Eggers. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. And, ooh. So I walk in this morning. And last night was one of the best betting nights of this group's year so far. It's January 18th. It was a fantastic night. Paul's pick of the day was the only pick that I lost yesterday, Clemson. But that was semantics because Clemson's point guard got hurt three hours before the game. Or, well, he may have been hurt. But it was announced that he wasn't playing three hours before the game. So, as it happens... (laughs) Poor Sejo. As it happens, Sam, poor Sejo. he, He lost a parlay on that one. Uh, Casey, I come in here and I sit down this morning and I'm going on and on about how great of a night we all had. Kentucky came back and won, you know, we we all, the picky parlay won. If you follow not too picky on Twitter, we all had a great night. I come in here and I sit down and Casey's looking at me with a grin on his face and he's going on about his night. We didn't get any of your picks, Casey. And you won huge. You're hiding your picks. Yes and no. Um, I, I, yeah, I didn't share any, any of my picks because I've been really cold. I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, you know, by, by sending out a bunch of losers. But last night, oh. All right. I so mean, it, read the, read the people what we all want. You don't have to go into your dollar amounts, but read the people what yeah. happened last night. All right. So the, the office all took Kansas state. Yes. Or, Kansas. Or we, 
Kansas State was a huge winner for the office last night. Then I made a, a three-leg parlay, and this one hit. 76ers money line, Joel Embiid over 31.5 points and over on both team totals of 107.5 points. And what were the odds on that? Plus 570. Okay. All right. Then I made another parlay. This is only a two-legger. Portland Blazers and Denver Nuggets under 238 total points and Damian Lillard under eight and a half assists. He had net, he had eight exactly. So I almost lost on that one, and that was at plus one ninety. Unreal. Then I parlayed both of those together, both of those legs for a plus thousand. Unreal. Then I lost the Clemson. That's fine. That's fine. The Clemson one is fine. <laughs> and then the the next ones are the ones that are going to really hurt me because this one. I feel bad because we told Seho that our pick was Clemson and that we looked at it and we were like, oh, yeah. I took all of Seho's picks straight and I parlayed them together. And Seho puts a parlay together and includes Clemson. Casey takes those same picks, excludes Clemson, and wins. Casey, huge winner last night. Uh, I am going to say we're going to go to a quick break. I see uh, Ken Anderson's in the house. We're going to go to a quick break, test the, test the audio. You want to? Yeah, you guys just talk for a second. I'll talk to you. Okay. Ken. All right. We've gotten a couple of, uh, um, you know, um, people jumping in where Everett, we weren't trying to get on him. My dad's the one who jumped him. We didn't get on him. He says, I think Marty knew that Dumbledore was not a great <laughs> person. That's why he got so upset. He says, I'm done. D U N done. Yeah. We love Everett, though. We do love Everett. Everett, a loyal day one viewer of the show. And the and the contest winner won the tickets this weekend. Really, Everett was the one that won the tickets. How about congratulations? That's awesome. Yep, that is awesome. Um, Nate Nate Hines in here complaining about not getting your winners, Casey. It's disappointing. And everybody pointing out uh, that Kenny Anderson, as I mentioned, is from Batavia, Illinois, and there apparently is a Batavia, Indiana. I'm well aware of Batavia, Ohio. Been out there many many times. Passed through there many many times so we have him coming up you know kenny anderson was one of the all-time greats uh he spent his entire career with the cincinnati bengals he even came back as a coach he was an offensive coordinator he went to little augustana college was selected in the third round of the 1971 nfl draft by the bengals 16 years now listen to this he led the league in passer rating four times completion percentage three times passing yards twice he's been an MVP he's been the NFL offensive player of the year that's the year he led the Bengals to the Super Bowl he set the all-time NFL record a year later for completion percentage in a season he held that record for over 30 years before Drew Brees broke it back in 2009 he still holds all the Bengals franchise records for passing yards attempts uh, and after his professional career is over, he, he's done a little bit of everything. We mentioned as a coach, he was a local TV sports anchor for years and years and years. Uh, he even coached for the Pittsburgh Steelers, for God's sakes, and won a Super Bowl ring with the Steelers. It is an honor and a pleasure to have not only one of the all-time greats uh, at quarterback in the NFL, but one of the all-time Hall of Fame guys, and that's Kenny Anderson. Kenny. Hall of Fame ring with the Steelers. 
Are you wearing that thing around much at all, or is that just tucked away somewhere? Uh, it, it's kind of just tucked away somewhere. Uh, it, it doesn't make many appearances here in Cincinnati. Um, you know, but I tell people I get a lot of grief for that, but I wasn't the one that was, uh, you know, that left Cincinnati voluntarily when I was coaching. I, I was kind of asked to leave, and, you know, you got to find work. And I was in Jacksonville for uh, four years, and then, uh, you know, Jack Del Rio, and uh, I guess the six years he was there, he fired 19 assistant coaches, and I lasted four years. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> and then had a chance to go to, to work with, with Mike Tomlin uh, in Cincinnati or in Pittsburgh. You know, my connection there was Bruce Arians, who was the offensive coordinator. So it was uh, – there are more similarities than dissimilarities between the Bengals and Steelers than you might think. Really? What, what, what would yes. be some of the similarities? Because the first thing, Kenny, that any, anybody would say is, you know, the Steelers have a, a pile of uh, Super Bowl trophies and the Bengals are still in search of number one. Well, you know, I would say the first thing that uh, in, in three years with the Steelers, I never had a meal on a team plane uh, before we left. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, to get on, on the plane in our waiting area in Pittsburgh, uh, you'd grab a, a deli sandwich and a bag of chips and a candy bar or something like that, and you would get a drink on the plane. And then after the game, uh, before you got on the plane, and you walk on, there's a, a, a tray there with hamburgers or cheeseburger or hamburgers or chicken sandwiches. Which one do you want? And you would take that on the plane. So, uh, you know, they... You know, everybody says sometimes the Bengals throw nickels around like manhole covers. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I was like, the Steelers uh, were, were not real uh, thrifty as well. I want to go back to you growing up in Batavia. Uh, what was life like in the Anderson household growing up in a town? That's a small little town. No, it, it is. Uh, it was great. Um you know, the, my graduating class in high school was 125. And so if you wanted to play sports, if you wanted to play basketball or wrestle, you had to go out for a fall sport, football or cross country. If you wanted to play baseball or run track in the spring, you had to go out for basketball or wrestling. If you wanted to play football or cross country in the fall, you had to go out for baseball or, or track in the, in the spring. That was just, well, most of the coaches coach multiple sports anyway, but that was the way to, to keep the numbers up. And, and and I really, that was really a pleasure for me. I mean, we were outside all the time, you know, playing. And, and I had the, the advantage that uh, my backyard ran right into Dan Issel's backyard. Yeah. Uh, All-American at UK, member of the uh, NBA Hall of Fame right now. And, you know, uh, he, he played baseball. He played football a, as well. And, you know, we're always out in the driveway shoveling snow if it was uh, in, the, in the winter to play hoops. But. I did have one big advantage that my dad was uh, the high school custodian. And if they had a game on a Friday night or Saturday night, he had to go in and clean the gym the next day. And man, a lot of times my friends, we, we would go down there while he's working. Uh, he'd go into the, the head coach's office and, and break out the, the rack of basketballs that uh, the varsity <laughs> used. And, and we'd play basketball all afternoon while he's working. You know, I, I was going to ask you about Dan Issel because when I was a kid and before my dad got the job with the, with the Reds, uh, he was announcing the old ABA, uh, the American Basketball Association, and I was a ball boy for the visiting team. And, and the one mo most vivid memory that I have um, was playing the Kentucky Colonels, where Dan Issel played before <laughs> the leagues merged, and he went to the NBA in a in phenomenal career in Denver primarily. 
But I just remember he had he had no teeth, no front teeth. And and you know, back in those days, basketball players weren't wearing mouth guards like they are now. Did he have those knocked out? Do you remember back when you were in high school or something? No, it was seventh or eighth grade, and we were uh, practicing. I think it was during practice at uh, McWayne Grade School. That's where, uh, you know, we uh, the seventh and eighth grade teams practiced and played. And he got tripped, and he went down, and the first thing that hit was his mouth, and uh, his front tooth, he stuck in the floor. So he hadn't had him ever since. That's unbelievable. I've always wondered that. He was such a cool guy, and so was Louis Dampier, and Artis Gilmore was on that team. Um you know, my kids went, uh, go, go went or are going to a high school, public high school, where it's 120 in a graduating class. So I get what you're talking about playing multiple sports. Um, but you're still a small town, and frequently great athletes in those smaller schools uh, can get overlooked. Uh, were you recruited by bigger schools, or was there something about Augustana that you liked better than anywhere else? Well, I was a little small in high school, you know, where Dan was already 6'9", and he was being recruited by just about everybody in the country. So you had a lot of people there looking at you. Um, also, we had a uh, – he was – I say Dan was a year older than I was. We also had a baseball player named Byron Vonhoff, who was a, a year older than I was, and uh, ended up being drafted uh, very high by the New York Mets. And that was in the age of uh, Seaver and Kuzman, all those young players for the young Miracle Mets. Well, Byron was in that group. Unfortunately, he missed spring training. He had to do uh, his six months active duty uh, for the Army Reserve. And then when he got back to spring training, uh, the other guys were already up with the big league team. They tried to rush him through uh, spring training, and he threw out his arm and really never played after that. So there were a lot of baseball scouts around. So I always thought baseball was probably my best sport. But, uh, you know, my driver's license at 16 said 5'5", 155. So a lot of guys weren't interested in that. So had a lot of schools like Augustana I could have gone to, but uh, a lot of kids in my town uh, went there. It was a, a Lutheran college, and uh, so I felt very comfortable there. Went there to play basketball and baseball. And uh, in June, before I went to, to college, my high school football coach says, Kenny, you know, you ought to try out for the football team. And so uh, I think the letter is dated uh, June 29th that uh, I wrote Ralph Storenko, the head coach, could I try out? And, you know, at a Division three school in those days, they're looking for warm bodies and then there was no scholarship money. <clears throat> so I ended up... Uh, making the football team. And by the, the second game of the year, I went in and I became the starting quarterback on the varsity after that. Uh, and then uh, football season ended and I was going there to play basketball. Now I'm a month late for basketball. I don't even get a, a practice uniform. So I'm playing on the freshman team. And, uh, you know, I'm dressing for the varsity and we're in the Chicago area near my hometown. And one of the starting guards uh, had 20 points in the first half. He did something to upset the coach, and he got benched the second half. He put me in. I had 20 the second half. <laughs> from then on, we were the starting guards on the varsity. So I, I played three years of varsity basketball. And uh, then the baseball coach said, and we're, we're hitting in the bus barns. And at that time, I was a little tired, you know, going two sports back to back and trying to, to study a little bit. So I never did play baseball. But I, I was a catcher, and I always told Bench, I said, you know, if I had played baseball, they may never heard of you. <laughs> when, did you when, when did you go through the growth spurt? I mean, because you, you were saying, you know, your driver's license is saying in high school, 5'5", five, five, whatever. You're, you're a big, strong guy. When did that happen? 
You know, it started when I was in college. You know, I think I went there at six one. You know, and about one hundred and eighty, and then I got up to six two. And maybe it's because I discovered beer when I, you know, about that time, and I, you know, I put on some weight up to, to two fifteen. And so all of a sudden now, you know, I've got the physical dimensions for an NFL quarterback and, you know, got real lucky because uh, my senior year, uh, Pete Brown, uh, Mike's brother, uh, was the head of the scouting department. He was at a Notre Dame game uh, one Saturday afternoon, and I was playing Valparaiso in Valparaiso, Indiana that night. So he went over to that game. So he was the first one that saw me play. That's amazing. You get drafted in the third round in 71. You mentioned Pete Brown. Um, did you know who Paul Brown was? Oh, heck yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, I grew up in the Chicago area, a big Bears fan. And, you know, uh, Billy Wade was the first quarterback I really liked. And, uh, you know, Rudy Bukic. And, and so, you know, you're, you're following the NFL. And I was always a, a big football fan. So, yeah, I was very well, well, well aware of Paul Brown. And, you know, when you come now, and we had Mike Reed on the program, we've had uh, others on the program who, uh, you know, their first experience with Paul Brown or the first time they met him, what kind of impression he made upon them. You recall that day? Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, the draft in those days was in January, the end of January. And, uh, you know, during the season, uh, the Bengals coaches – went out on Saturdays and scouted. And so uh, Bill Walsh actually came up to uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and saw me play against Carroll College. Uh, and then went uh, after the game, he took a flight and got to Cleveland for the Bengals game the next day. So he had been there. Mike Brown had come out to Rock Island to watch me play. Uh, right after the season, you know, Bill had come out uh, to, to Rock Island to work me out in our old gym. And uh, so, yeah, I was very well of, of the organization and, you know, when I got down there, the, the, I was drafted on the first day, and they called me, and I caught a flight the next morning, went to Cincinnati, and, uh, you know, the first thing they did was take me into Paul's office, and uh, that was uh, quite an intimidating experience. What was intimidating about it? Well, behind his desk, and, you know, I mean, there's pictures of him and Otto Graham and, you know, the success that he's had, and here's the new franchise the year before. Uh, gosh, they, what, they won their last seven games in a row, I think, uh, to win the division, go to the uh, the playoffs for the first time. I think that the youngest NFL franchise to go to the playoffs. So there, you know, he had a, a tiger skin rug on the floor. And so, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, your, your quarterback coach, Bill Walsh. Now, look, guys, you know, when they go on to achieve – bigger and better things and someone make the argument you know that he's the greatest coach of all time or one of the greats certainly what was he like what was it like being around him he was a young guy just like you were obviously a very young guy um it was great and they didn't have the rules then and so i, I signed my first contract uh, the night that i was there at 10 o'clock uh, at night uh, went in with mike brown to negotiate my contract and they offered me a a three-year contract for 18000 20 and 22 and a $7,500 signing bonus. And I'm thinking, man, I like the 18. Uh, if I didn't make it, I had a teaching job lined up in Chicago with my uncle, who's my idol, uh, teaching math and coaching high school football and basketball with him. And he said, Kenny, go ahead and take it. Uh, he, he said, you know, your starting teacher's salary is 5000 So for some reason, I, I said, 
you know, Mike, I want a $10,000 signing bonus. And he pulled out a check made out to me for $7,500 and said, this is what you're going to get. I said, fine, where do I sign? And he said, I tell you what, if, if you make the 40-man roster, we'll give you the extra $2,500. So, uh, so I moved down to Cincinnati, uh, you know, the beginning of February and met three days a week with Bill. And literally, we I, I didn't throw a football for a long time. It was just working on the drops, you know, where I would stand in place just to get the feel of moving my feet in a three-step drop. Okay, now this is standing in place. I'm not going anywhere. It's one, two, three, and cock your arm like you're going to throw, then a five-step, then a five and a hitch. And then the next week we would walk back and do the same things. And he said, okay, now here's the route here. It's going to be 82ZN. It's five, and, you know, and we're talking about the offense at the same time. And it was the old 16-millimeter film, and I had a – he gave me a projector in my apartment and a stack of films. And he said, all right, take these home with you tonight and, and write down all the offensive formations. And I do that. And I, I go back, I take the, the, the stack of films, put them on his desk. And he said, okay, now take these back again with you and, and write every defensive front. So, you know, I did that. And it was so helpful to me to have that one-on-one. And had I not, had I not gone to Cincinnati and, and had Bill Walsh to, to, to kind of take this piece of clay and mold it into whatever he wanted it to be. Uh, I, I wouldn't have made an NFL team. I, and by that September, I'd have been at Nutria High School coaching football and basketball and teaching math. Your first year, you play in seven games. Um, you know, then you, you move on to become the starter a year later. Ten and four. Uh, eventually, you win the AFC title. You get to the playoffs. When people watch regular season football, Kenny, and then they watch postseason football, is there a difference between the two in terms of level of play and intensity? Well, you know, I, you know, you think you're intense every game, but you know, you go and you know, my first playoff game was 1973 down in Miami when they had those great teams, and uh, you know, we we were down there and. Uh, you know, it was a cold week in Cincinnati, and Paul Brown always believed in sleeping in your own bed as much as you could. And so we we practiced here all week, and we caught a fl- uh, flight to Miami on Saturday, got down there. And it's, you know, one of those mid-80 humid days in, uh, in in Miami. And that's when I realized that it's it's tougher going south at the end of the year than it is north. You know, going south, it was physical. I mean, it, you, you, you know, you kind of hit the wall at, at certain points. And, you know, in that game, we lost our, our top running back, Essex Johnson. And, uh, you know, he went out in the first quarter. We got beat in a close game, you know, down there. And so that was kind of my, my first ex- experience with it. You know, you're excited for it. And then a couple of years later in 75, uh, we're 11 and three, I believe. And there was only one wild card in those days. And, and the Steelers won the division at 12 and two. And so we went out to, uh, to play in Oakland. And of course, in those days, you know, the, 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 the dynasties were the, the Miami Dolphins, the Oakland Raiders and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, I think we got beat 31 to 28 out there. And I remember driving down to win the game at the end and, you know, going to throw the ball and got sacked by Ted Hendricks. And uh, so then it was a while, you know, it was kind of frustrating. Uh, Bill Walsh left after that year. Paul Brown retired and uh, turned the the team over to Bill Johnson as our head coach. And, you know, we we played well in in 76 and 77. And, you know, injuries kind of crop up. We weren't a very good team. And, you know, in, in 78, uh, we were playing up uh, our sixth, exibi- sixth exhibition game and we're playing uh, the Packers in Milwaukee. And, 
you know, we got a big lead at halftime. If I go out to start the second half and in the first series, I hit my hand on the helmet and broke mm -hmm. my throwing hand and missed the, 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 the first four weeks of the season. And, you know, we started off 0-4 and, and going out to play the 49ers and uh, a lot of rumors that they were going to fire Tiger. And, and I really loved him as a head coach, as a person. And I went in on, on Monday and told the doctor, cut the cast off, I'm playing. And uh, so I, I was not real effective, and they fired him on the plane on the way home. And, you know, then 80-79 was an, an awful, awful team for the Bengals. And, of course, Forrest Gregg comes in, in 80. And, you know, you didn't have to worry about intensity for a playoff game because Forrest made sure you had intensity for every game. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the, the – the, I want to back up just real quick because you were there. You worked very closely, as you just talked about, with Bill Walsh. And, and of course, people, um, you know, that are old enough to remember, uh, they all walk around and they wonder what could have or what should have been. Um being in the quarterback room with Walsh, you mentioned Tiger Johnson. Um, were you surprised Johnson got the job when Paul Brown stepped away and not Bill Walsh? Not really. You know, and, and I tell people, as much as I, I love Bill, uh, Tiger was a great coach. I mean, he was a great player as a center for the 49ers, and, and he was a great coach. And I, I, my feeling at that time was that he was more ready to be a head coach than Bill was. You know, at, at that point, Bill was still a little, I thought, too close to the players. I mean, we had a great time with Bill. I mean, he might meet us out for a beer after the game, something like that. Um, you know, of course, in hindsight, to, to see what happened, you know, Bill went to the, the Chargers and the Stanford and the 49ers, you know, it would have probably would have been different had he stayed. But I, in that moment in time, I thought that Tiger Johnson was the correct choice. All right, 81, um, the first game of the year. You throw a couple of interceptions in the season opener. You guys are down 21-0 against Seattle. Turk Schonert comes into the game, takes over for you at quarterback. Forrest Gregg pulls you as a starter at halftime. Um, the team goes on to win the game. What happened that night, the following day, uh, maybe a day or two later, between you and Forrest Gregg. Anything? Well, yeah, a, a lot happened. And, and, you know, you're absolutely correct that Turk Schonert came in. Turk was our third-string quarterback. In 1980, we uh, drafted my replacement, Jack Thompson, the, the throw in Samoan, and he was hurt, and he couldn't play. So Turk is the one that, that, that came in to play. And, and I think, you know, leading up to that, uh, you know, it, it's everybody wanted Jack Thompson. You know, I been hurt a lot in 79 and my career had kind of gone down a little bit. I, I knew we were going to be pretty good. You know, we, we only ended up six and 10 and 80, but I, I knew we were going to be better. And then, you know, but everybody's clamoring for Jack. So I just put too much pressure on myself and, you know, you can't play and try to be perfect. And, and that's what I did that first game. And I was awful. I deserved to be benched. In fact, I wish you would have pulled me earlier, saved me some misery. Um, <laughs> But, you know, after the game, you know, went back and, you know, you're trying to console yourself and have a beer. And, uh, you know, a guy could say, hey, I just heard on the, on the news that uh, that uh, Turk's going to start next week. You're not going to start. And I go, what? And I uh, I called Lindy Infante and, you know, I went down there and he said, well, you know, we're kind of thinking about it, you know, but uh, talked to Forrest and we had a long talk. And and, and he said, all right, you know, meet, meet me in here at, at, at eight o'clock on, on Wednesday morning. So I go back and on our off day, I get a call. They had a, a running back in town. They wanted to work out. And could I come down and throw to him? And I go, 
They don't have anybody else to do it. Maybe they just want me down to see if I can still throw. And, uh, you know, I met with Forrest on, on Wednesday morning, and we, we went through a lot of different scenarios. Is it better if I start? Is it better if I come off the bench um, if we need me? And then finally he says, Kenny, what do you want to do? I said, I want to start. He said, okay, you're starting. So that's uh, – then I started thinking about it. Oh, geez, we're playing the Jets this week. It's the New York Sack Exchange. You know, Gastineau, Klecko, Marty Lyons, Abdul Salam. Maybe I shouldn't be playing this game. <laughs> but uh, we went there, and uh, – I'm a little nervous anyway, and, and, and we're playing at, at the old at Shea Stadium, and uh, the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament is going on the same weekend. And our offensive line always went over early. They get a hotel van, and, and we get there, and we have no offensive line. And I go, oh, what the heck? And, you know, we got the, the police out looking for them, and we got to warm up. We still don't have an offensive line. The starters aren't there. Now I'm really getting nervous, and uh, well, the, the cab, the, the van driver, take it, took in the, the Yankee Stadium rather than Shea Stadium. Now with traffic, they're t- struggling to get there, so they come out to warm up. They got to go in and get taped after warm ups, and uh, you know during the week that week they're kind of joking with me. We get in a team, and the first pass I throw, hey, Kenny, which way are you going to throw us? So we go make the tackle after you throw an interception. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I go out for the first play, and I think, uh, you know, Lindy Infante was a great offensive coordinator. And, you know, I said, well, he'll let me get in the flow of the game, hand off a couple of times. Well, the first play's a pass. And so I get in the huddle, and uh, I go, all right, your assholes. The, the first play's going to be a pass. It's going to be the right. Just in case something bad happens, go make the tackle. And everybody had a chuckle, and we went on to win 31-30, <laughs> to 30, I think. That gave a great game. And, of course, the rest is history. We ended up 12-4 and four winning the division. Well, and you end up as a league MVP. I mean, th- that's one of the things that is just staggering. And, and now hearing after what happened halftime of that game and, you know, you talking with Forrest and, 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 and moving on to the Jets. But, I mean, you said you're a nervous type, and here you are in New York. I mean, who would have ever thunk that year you go on and you win the MVP, you throw for over 3,700 yards, I think it was, uh, 29 touchdowns, you lead the league, and ironically, touchdown to interception ratio. And here the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl and you're the most valuable player in the league. Unbelievable stories. Oh yeah, no, it was no, it was it was a fun ride, you know, and that was uh, the first playoff game ever in Cincinnati that year. You know, we played Buffalo and uh was a great playoff game. I think we won a 28-21 and you know, you talk about a crowd making a difference uh they had taken a timeout. They couldn't get a playoff and then came back after the timeout. And this is when the, you know, we had just scored to take the lead. And after timeout, they come out and still had to take a delay a game because of crowd noise. And uh, they couldn't convert and, uh, and we win the game. So we owe, we owe the fans a, a big thanks for that one. And of course, next week, uh, you know, we go out and it's, the temperature got real cold for some yeah, reason. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's 59 below with the wind chill. And, and guys, we're at the hotel the night before. Guys, cars won't start. They come down to the game. We're hitching rides any way that we can. And um, But, uh, you know, that was one of, I, I think, you know, you talk to the guys on that team, one of our, our proudest accomplishments that we could go out into conditions like that and, and, and perform. And, you know, everybody said, well, it's unfair. You know, uh, Miami or they uh, the Chargers had just played in Miami the week before. It's eighty, and and now it's minus fifty nine, and that's not fair to them. And I said, you know what? We were out in San Diego earlier in the year and beat their ass. I mean, it wasn't close. And had they won that game, we'd have played the championship game in San Diego. So we earned that right. 
But, uh, you know, Tom, my, my favorite story about uh, the championship game is they, they brought in heated benches that we had never seen before. And so it's in the first quarter, and, and I'm over, uh, I go off the field, and, and luck, luckily I've got my helmet on, and I, they got little slots for your feet to go in. And so I, I put my feet in there. I'm sitting on my hands. Somebody throws a cape over me, and a couple minutes later, there's a, a big roar. And I think, is there a turnover? Am I going back in the game? And uh, so I stand up to see, and my feet don't come out, and I go down, and the first thing that hits is my face mask, and I'm seeing stars. And I'm calling for Marv Pollins, the trainer. I said, Marv, get some smelling salts, do something. I, I said, I can't get knocked out of the game falling off the bench. You know, they didn't have as many cameras in those days, and there were no <laughs> cell phones, so nobody caught it. But, you know, in today's world, somebody would have seen it. They probably would have called down from the, the press box. They would have gone into concussion protocol and not finished the game. <laughs> never heard that story. That's a great story. Um, when, when Walk me through, Kenny. Because I was a senior in high school. And I mean, when you're a senior in high school, there was nothing cooler than, than your team, hometown team, going to the Super Bowl. I, I mean, I can remember almost every single moment. I, I mean, you know, of that whole ride through the season and, and so forth. But walk me through being down in the third quarter. It's a 20-7 game. You get the ball inside the five. You get the ball down to the one. Now, much has been made of the inability uh, to get into the end zone. And it's not Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm just kind of curious. What did you think of the play call? You got big Pete Johnson down there, right? Weighing 270 pounds, whatever he weighed. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking about as the plays are coming in? And, and, and this, is, this is the biggest moment of the game. Well, I, I had no question about the play calls. I mean... You know, we had been so successful, uh, you know, in, in short yardage and goal line. I mean, we had Pete. He might have been listed at, at 245, but he was probably 270. You know, we had another big blocking back, Charlie Alexander. Um, a great, you know, we're, we're talking about Munoz, Montoya, Lapham, Blair Bush, Mike Wolf. We had a, a good offensive line. So, no, that was, uh, uh, you know, no problems right there. Um, I apologize for that. That's all um, right. So, but, you know, it was that was not what lost us the game. It was, you know, the turnovers in the first half to put us down 20 to nothing. You know, we had kicked off to San Francisco. They fumbled the opening kickoff. We got a great field position and got down to the five-yard line. I, I threw an interception. We trying to put three receivers to the left. We're going outside to pick for Isaac Curtis to come underneath, and, and Dwight Hicks. Uh, makes the interception, and they go down to get the first score. And, and you know, we were going to at least get a, a, a chip shot field goal from Jimmy Breach. And, you know, that, that play haunted me from years until I, I saw Hicks at uh, a, uh, a celebrity golf tournament. He says, Kenny, I'm surprised you're talking to me. And I said, oh, that was a long time ago. I've forgotten that. Yeah, right. Well, he, he said, I want to tell you, I blew the coverage. I was in man coverage on Kreider on the, the slot. I should have gone with him to the corner. I, I, I stood there and was there for the interception, so I shouldn't have been there. So, you know, we had that one, and then, uh, you know, we're moving the ball in, in the second quarter, and I hit Chris Collinsworth, you know, down around the 10 for yep. first down. He fumbled it. They recovered. Uh, you know, now it's, uh, you know, 14 to nothing, and, uh, you know, they're kicking off, uh, you know, right before halftime. And uh, they squib kick it, and we muff it. They recover it, getting a field goal. Kicking off again, do the same thing. We muff it. 
they get another field goal to put it in. So it was, we kind of self-inflicted that game. And, you know, uh, I, I, to this day, I, I will always believe that we were the better team, but we didn't play like it that day. At the time of your retirement, Kenny, you had thrown for the seventh most passing yards in the history of the National Football League. Seventh most. Five of the six guys in front of you are all in the Hall of Fame. I mentioned you had led the NFL in quarterback rating four times, completion percentage three times, passing yards twice, four Pro Bowls, MVP of the league. Take your team to the Super Bowl. You're asked this question all the time, Kenny. I mean, listen, um, I told the story earlier. You're old enough to remember. I worked alongside of Ron Santo, the former Cub, great third baseman. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who, from a time as a child growing up, he was diagnosed with diabetes. As he got older, um, there, there were incredible repercussions from that disease. He ended up having both of his legs amputated. Uh, but he still kept going strong and working in the broadcast booth. He was my partner with the Cubs when I was there. I was there every year in the winter, Kenny, uh, out in Arizona, uh, when he would be waiting on the call from the Hall of Fame. And every single year, that call never came. Uh, and they didn't put him in until after he had died, which, which was just, it, it, it's criminal beyond description. I only bring all of this up because... I knew him well enough, like he was a second father to me, to know that there were parts of him that were consumed by that vote. Um, are you consumed by the Hall of Fame? No, no. It, it, would it be great? Yeah. You know, you know. I'm I'm a kid that grew up in a small town. You know, and and, and I made it out of Batavia. And you know, you, you think if you're an MVP of the, of the National Football League, you're the biggest athlete to come out of that town. Well, I was always second fiddle to Dan Issel. So, you know, I, you never, I never played for the accolades. And, you know, so I everything that's happened in my career, playing, you know, 16 years in one place, you know, is, uh, wow, that was fantastic. And Cincinnati was the perfect place for me. You know, it was a city I felt very comfortable in and, you know, small enough that I wasn't, you know, consumed by, you know, large, I, I would have probably, you know, I'd, I'd gotten swallowed up if I had to go to New York or, you know, but um, so, no, you know, it came out. The thing I was the only time I was disappointed is, you know, the first time I was eligible and uh, I got to the final 15 and they told me, you know, be sitting by your phone at, at two o'clock this afternoon. And so I was and the, the phone never rang. And uh, that was was a tough night. But other than that, and you know, I mean, I got to go in the Bengals first class in the ring of honor. I, I'm very proud about that. And, you know, the Hall of Fame is great, but I'm a part of a more exclusive club. And, and, and that's uh, the, the NFL Man of the Year uh, when I was selected in 1975. And there's only one of those selected every year. So that's a, a pretty exclusive club. And, and I'm very proud of that as well. You know, but Kenny, but, 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 I mean, in, in researching this interview and, you know, you hear it here in Cincinnati all the time. And I know you had moved away for a while and now you're back and, and our city is, is better for it that, that you and your family are back here living here. Um, but, you, you, you know, you look at some of the guys. OK, and, 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 I, and, 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 and I look at the late Kenny Stabler as an example. OK, you uh, throw far more touchdown passes than he does far more yards than he does. Uh, people forget what a great runner you were. You ran for over 2,000 yards in your career. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you know, your touchdown, you may not have had as many touchdowns as, say, 
Dan Fouts, who's in the Hall of Fame, but they were throwing the ball 15 and 20 times more per game than you were. But your numbers are so similar to those two guys. Now, some might say that Stabler, and I think it for a long time, uh, and, and, and the numbers and the names don't lie, uh, that they kept guys out of the Hall of Fame or made them wait longer than some others because they didn't win a Super Bowl. Do you think that that's held true for you? Um, I, I think that's part of it. I think if you look, probably the only position uh, that's judged by Super Bowl championships is the quarterback position. You know, if you're a, if you're a tackle, uh, a linebacker, a defensive back, a running back, you know, that's not one of the criteria. But I think for the voters, a lot of times it's, you know, have you won a world's championship? You don't go around promoting yourself. You're a good friend, and my good friend, D David Kabicki, is one of many out there that, that, that are doing anything and everything they can. If someone wanted to, 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 to write a letter, to um, you know, call somebody on the phone, contact them via social media, who are the guys at this point in time that will decide whether or not you get to the Hall of Fame? Well, there is a, a senior committee. Uh, and they're the ones that uh, that select the candidates. They, they get together and they've upped it from, you know, one a year to now three a year, where it's going to be two former players and a contributor. And so I, I'm so excited. Uh, the first year they did this to Kenny Riley, a teammate that, that gets gets to go in. And uh, I'm just so sorry that he's not the one that gets to walk up on the stage. It's got to be, you know, his son. But um, so they make the decision uh, and they select them. And it, it's... Uh, now, technically, they, they still have to go through the vote of the whole committee, but I, I don't think it's, I think it's only happened once where whoever the, the senior committee uh, selected didn't, didn't get elected that first year. Well, Kenny, everybody's rooting like heck for you. I mean, it is just beyond, beyond comprehension to me. And I don't say this because I'm a Cincinnatian uh, and a Bengals fan, which admittedly I am. Uh, it, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. Um, shift gears to the Bengals today. Um, would you have ever imagined back in your playing days? And look, the whole town, I think for those of us who were old enough, truly old enough to remember, that first trip to the Super Bowl was, was mind-boggling in this town, the excitement. It, it was just incredible. First time the team had been there, we saw that again. Uh, Boomer Esiason and that group in 88, uh, and then this group last year. Uh, but, but the whole town seems to have sort of shifted uh, in its following of the Bengals. Uh, would you have ever imagined it would be like it is now? Oh, yeah. I know how, how great the fans are. And, you know, you've you got to give them a reason to be excited. And, and certainly a lot of things in the 90s, the Bengals gave them no reason to be excited. But, uh, you know, we got this kid, uh, this number nine kid, what, Joe Burrow? <laughs> I think he's going to be a, a pretty good player. You know, they, they've got, uh, you know, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. They, they've got uh, Joe Mixon. they got great weapons. And, you know, they got a, a, a good defense. And, and, and they're just a likable bunch of guys. And, you know, there's there's no egos on the team. Uh, you know, uh, the thing I love about this team is, is their, their selflessness, that they pull for each other. Um, they know what it takes to win. Um, and they're willing to pay the price to do the things that it takes to win. 
and, and not complain about it. They like to be around each other. And, you know, classic example, you know, you know, at one game, you know, Tyler Boyd at one time was uh, the number one guy here. Well, now we got Jamar Chase, we got T Higgins and he goes kind of through the whole game and, you know, no targets, no targets, touchdown, he gets, he wins the game. You, you know, this is the, the, the kind of team that they have. And, and uh, you know, they got great leadership and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just so proud of them. You know, uh, when, when Zach was uh, hired, they talked about, he talked about culture, Katie, the culture that he wanted in the locker room. And yeah, well, they don't win many games. Yeah, you take that culture stuff and you know what you can do with it. Well, all of a sudden, he, you know, after three years, he gets the guys in the locker room and we saw what happened last year. And I think that's going to continue for a long time. If you, uh, have you met Joe Burrow? I've only met him once uh, since he was drafted. You know, the, the, the COVID protocols were, were tough for me to get anywhere near the, the building. And uh, so now I met him after one of the OTA practices and uh, had a, a a little talk with him and, you know, it was about five minutes, a, a great talk. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, I said, we got to spend some more time together. And he said, well, give me a call the next time you're in town. Well, you know, I, we were back in Cincinnati and then I were back in Hilton Head. And, you know, can we get back a couple times a year uh, during the football season? But uh, I hope I could this off season I get a chance to, to spend a little time with him. What a, what a great guy. Oh, there, there's no, no doubt. And much like you grew up in a small little town, uh, you know, uh, down in Athens, Ohio. Um, and like you did in Batavia, Illinois. If, if, if he were to ask you, look, uh, he has had just extraordinary success in a very short amount of time. Uh, his first year he got hurt, he comes back. You know, next year, uh, you know, they're off to the Super Bowl. Uh, and here he is now and trying to get him back there again. But, 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 but when, when, you, when you have the kind of success he's having, you've had it, been a league MVP, taking your team to a Super Bowl. What might be something that you would share with him or somebody like him um, in moving forward in your career to make sure you do or don't do what? Well, I would say just, you know, make sure that you enjoy what you're doing, you know, and, and kind of smell the roses. And, and, and during the season, it's, it's kind of tough. And, you know, he's a, a nose to the grindstone kind of guy in, in his preparation but you know uh make sure you enjoy the the process and, and and actually that's one of the great things about this team is that they do enjoy the process and you know i remember a couple weeks ago you know zach was talking he said i don't i don't mind giving the guys a victory monday because they're all, all going to be in here anyway and jesse bates says yeah i showed up on monday at 9 30 i'm the last guy in here everybody's in the training room getting treatment everybody's getting a lift in everybody's getting ready for the next week and so you know he's He's a well-grounded guy, you know, and, and he doesn't play for the accolades. He doesn't play for the headlines. He plays to win and to win with his teammates, and I think that's what's going to sustain him. Okay, you, you, were, you were a great quarterback. You were a quarterback's coach. You were an offensive coordinator in the National Football League for a number of years. Um, the Bengals – you know, after starting their offensive line, Kenny, the same five guys for the first 15 weeks of the season, in essence, their last three games, they have lost three of those starters, beginning with Collins, going with Kappa, and most recently, Jonah Williams. There's a chance that they could be starting three new offensive linemen uh, this Sunday in Buffalo. Put on your quarterback hat first. 
What are you thinking about now facing that possibility? Well, I think the first thing I always talk about is protections, you know, in, in the pass game. And, you know, you got to try to help those guys when you can. And, and the big thing a quarterback can do is, is get the ball out quick when you throw the football, which Joe's done a, a tremendous job of, you know, this year. Um, you know, and we saw, you know, that when they're all in there the last time, it was, it was tough to make a first down at the, at the end of the game, you know, against the Ravens. Um, but I think this week they'll have a chance. And luckily those guys have got experience. They've been with the team, you know, uh, uh, you know, Shapling's been, uh, you know, he, he started yep. 33 games with, with Houston. I mean, he's, he's got games under his belt, you know, identity, the same thing, you know, Carmen Jackson. So, um, you know, the, these guys, we really got a great line coach, you know, and, you know, this is not new uh, game planning like this. Uh, I think last year, the second round of the playoffs, they went to the Nashville and Joe got sacked nine times. Yeah. And they still found a way to win the game. So uh, I got a lot of faith in this co coaching staff and, and designing a game plan that will help the line out as much as they can. Uh, I got faith that, that Joe's going to find a way to win. I got a, a faith in our defense. They'll come up with big plays. Um, you recently moved back to Cincinnati. Why? Well... You know, I got to spend uh, the first 13 years of my retirement uh, down in Hilton Head, you know, playing all the golf that I can. And, you know, the like I said, my youngest, most active years were down there riding bikes, going to the beach, you know, had, had a great time. And, you know, now, all of a sudden, you know, I've got six grandkids between the ages of 11 and three. And, you know, when I only see, you know, my, my granddaughter plays competitive volleyball and I see one match a year and I, I went a couple months ago and, She's playing and then she's serving. Where'd this rocket of a serve come? She's got a jump <laughs> serve now at 11. And I, I said, how'd I miss that? I've got a, another grandson, um, you know, that plays flag football. And, uh, you know, I, I think I can help him out a little bit with that. The, the, the others are playing, you know, indoor soccer, basketball, you know, just, just to be around that. And uh, I said, the, the nice thing is now we're going to be up here full time. And everybody said, oh, God, you'll come back to this weather. Well, you know, before I left, we had a nice little get-together at our, our club down in Hilton Head, and, and all these people came up and said, Ken, anytime you want to come down, you can stay with us. I said, I'm wearing a wire. I have this all on tape. <laughs> so uh, when I call, I said, we're going to come down for a week. So, you know, if, if we get uh, get uh, where we need a little warm weather, I need a little more golf, uh, we go back to Hilton Head for a week. Well, Kenny, it's just great having you back in town. It, <clears throat> it's great having you on the program today. I can't thank you enough for uh, – for making the time uh, to join us here today. And I know one day you're going to get that call for the whole uh, Hall of Fame, but I made the comment before you came on. You have just always been, whether it was your days as a player, um, I got to know you once you were in the media, if you will, you know, back in your <laughs> days as an anchor. You know, you, you always treated people like a million bucks. Uh, you know, and, and, and for those of us who were so young and, you know, might have been intimidated being around a Kenny Anderson uh, you always made everybody feel like they were on top of the world. So uh, thank you for your time today, and thank you for being Kenny Anderson. Well, and, and thank you for having me, Tom. And, uh, it, you know, it's always a pleasure. And the reason I got out of the, the, the broadcast business was is lack of talent, uh, I think was uh, the, main, <laughs> the main reason. You know, I, I, and a little story about broadcasting, if you've got time, that, you know, yeah. uh, I, I've been doing it. Uh, you know, I had a, a call-in uh, radio show on W. Uh, KRC and, and I did the morning sports with Jerry Thomas, which was the best job I've ever had getting to work with him. Of course, my first sports was at 530 in the morning. So it was some early mornings and did a little TV reporting with Nick Clooney. And, 
And then Charlie Meacham was the head of Great American Broadcasting, and, and he said, you know, Ken, you know, I want you to be this. It took me, me and Jerry Thomas to Muirfield every year to play golf. And we're up there walking down the first hole, and, and he said, Ken, I really want you to, to, to be the sports anchor. And I, oh, I said, Charlie, I don't know about that. I said, Don Burrow's a good friend of mine. And then I, and they said, well, Don's not going to be there anyway. I want you to do it. Well, how do you say no to the CEO? So this is, you know, kind of in June and, and I'm going to start it in August. And, and so, uh, you kind of getting ready for it, you know, and, and did a little bit. It was disaster when we started off, but I get a call from HBO and that's when they had inside, uh, the NFL with, uh, Nick Bonacani and Lenny Dawson. They wanted to add a third person. And I go, this is great. You know, and, uh, the news director would not let me do it. Oh. Um, See, he didn't want his new anchor to be gone two nights a week to, to start it off. And, and so I didn't get a chance to even try that out. And had that worked out, I don't know where broadcasting would have gone. But I, I knew right then that being a sports anchor wasn't for me. And uh, so I, I'd always wanted to coach anyway. And that, that's when I started to explore the options. And was luckily that uh, Dave Shula gave me a chance for my first coaching job in the NFL. Well, Kenny, we love having you back, man. And thanks again for your time today. And enjoy the game this weekend. Big time game. Well, we will. Uh, let's talk again after the Bengals win the next two. Get ready for the Super Bowl. We'll come back and talk again. You got it. That'd be awesome. That's okay. a deal. <laughs> Kenny, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Tom. That guy is awesome. Now, see, you guys are too young to, to, to remember, really, Kenny Anderson. You're way too young. Oh, you weren't even born when he was way playing. Way too young, no. yeah. I he mean, this guy, he... I mean, you know, we watch some of the throws that quarterbacks make today and look at every position. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. You know, they're, they're all these kinds of things. Back in those days in the NFL, not like now. Now, the good quarterbacks, not necessarily even the great quarterbacks, the good quarterbacks are hitting on 64, 65% of their passes, if not higher, the great ones. Um, back in those days, a uh, whole different animal. And the way this guy, the accuracy that he had when he set the all-time record. Now, some would say, you know, it's in a strike-shortened season. It was. But he broke the record that was held back when they played 10 games in the NFL per season. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, it, it wasn't apples to apples. It was. 71%. That record stood until 2009 when Drew Brees broke that record. Um, I, I just can't believe. I, I just don't know what in the hell people are thinking about uh, that, that vote for these guys being in the Hall of Fame. I, I really don't. I really don't. I don't understand what most of the writers are thinking about in baseball when they're looking at the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've said multiple times, shame on the Veterans Committee in Major League Baseball because they cried for years and years and years the Veterans Committee in baseball, about all the writers that were leaving these guys out of the Hall of Fame that should have been in. I was around it every day. Every day listening to this stuff. Joe Morgan was the head of the Veterans Committee. And I was with him the day they announced that they had not voted a player into the Hall of Fame on a particular year off the Veterans Committee. Not one. And there were 20 guys that deserved to be in. I was with Joe Morgan that day. I've never seen somebody more embarrassed about something in my entire life. He was humiliated. He was angered by these group of former players that had not put in 
other players when they had the chance to do it after bitching and moaning about the writers not putting them in. Football, same deal. Same deal. These veteran come in. And now, as Kenny mentioned, they've moved it up where you can put in as many as three along with a contributor to the game. So it's opened the gates for some guys to get in. Kenny Riley is on that list this year. How is Ken Anderson not on that list this year? I mean, are you kidding me? And I'm not here to be a shill for Kenny Anderson. Just look at the numbers. Kenny Anderson should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. End of story. Get it together. For those of you voting, get it together. We're back with more in a moment. At United Dairy Farmers, we've perfected freshness in our family bakery, where we use only the finest ingredients, like thick, high-quality glazes on our signature donuts, before delivering them fresh from bakery to store every day. UDF, made for you. If your AC or furnace is struggling, turn to the experts at Bartels Heating and Cooling. Their certified technicians get the job done right the first time, and if you need a new unit, Bartels will give you upfront pricing with no hidden fees. Plus, Ask about Bartell's 0% interest financing for 60 months. Learn more at BartellsHeatingAndCooling.com. Bartell's Heating and Cooling, for a comfortable way of life. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, proudly sponsoring high school football with three locations in Mason, Liberty Township, and Ross, Ohio. Our 10-foot screens guarantee a great view from every seat in the house. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, the best place in Cincinnati for sports, food, and fun. Turn when you're in pain. Turn where more high school, college, and pro athletes turn. Where your neighbors and weekend warriors turn. Turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine and get superior care on your schedule. That's the Beacon difference. Check out our fresh arrivals at Jake Sweeney Used Cars. Over 250 used vehicles weekly. All makes, all models. From economy to luxury, Jake Sweeney, the original used car superstore. Today, Wednesday, we've got some NBA. We got some college basketball. Yeah, we do. That we do, Casey. Are we are we looking at anything today, or what? What what do we? How do we feel? Yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, usually pretty good nights of college basketball. Once you get into this point of the conference season, tonight's a really good one. Uh, number fifteen, UConn is at Seton Hall tonight, and actually. Uh, there was just a tweet a few minutes ago that Dan Hurley, uh, UConn's head coach, will not be coaching in that game. COVID. I didn't even know that we were still doing that, but he has COVID, and he will not be coaching in the game tonight. Number 14, TCU, is at West Virginia. That is a game that West Virginia 
I don't want to say has to win. I never really like to use the must win phrase. But Bob Huggins and crew needs to win that game. They still don't have a win in the Big 12. Time's slipping away for West Virginia to get some wins. Uh, I know I know that the Big 12 is the best conference in the country, and every game is a good win if you win a game in the Big 12. But um, they they need to start winning games, plain and simple, because they've been close, but close doesn't get you in an NCAA tournament. They're still 29th in the net, but they got to win some games. Uh, Virginia Tech's at number 10, Virginia. That's a great rivalry game, but game of the night. Number 22, Providence at Fiserv Forum to play number 20, Marquette. That's a huge game for the Big East standings. Providence right now only one loss in the Big East. Marquette um, has two losses in the Big East. So this is a huge, huge game for for that, that top of the Big East standings when you're looking at Xavier, Providence, Marquette, three teams running for the Big East title. So, yeah, fun, fun little night in college hoops tonight. Tom? I'm surprised you're not, you know, although you're carless right now, right? Or no, you said it's getting around. There was no way I could take Jackie up to Chicago tonight. There was no chance. Jackie? Name of the car. Your car has a name. Yeah, well, of course. That's for good luck. For good luck. I have never heard of that in my life. Oh, Tom. You give a car a name? Well, you lease your car, so you just... You know. <laughs> well, I do. Yeah, so the, the, the You can't the name. get to it. You can't get too attached. You know to what it. it is. My girlfriend lives on a farm. Okay, so I always ask her if she th- she has a bunch of cattle, right? And I always ask her if she's ever named any of the cattle, and she goes, "No, I could never name a cattle because by the time they get old enough to like be attached to them, you got to yeah. send them off." To, I got, to get, I got to it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. Can't get you, you can't, can't get, get too attached to your car. leased cars. Yeah, go ahead. You can't get too attached to your leased cars, Tom. I get it. But for my good old my good old girl, she's been around for over a decade. We're attached at the hip, and it's a tough one. The only time I've ever heard of a car getting a nickname, what was the Stephen King book I read years ago? He gave the, the, the character, gave the car, and it turned into all this evil stuff. You should know that we're not very uh, well read, literary and Mixing in a book every now and again. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not caught up with my Stephen King literature. <laughs> I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the name of that, uh, that, that car. Christine, that was it. Thank you very much. Purchasing GSS. Um, Sir Boy Wonder says, if I name my car, it would be named White Claw. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting. Some of the, uh, some of the, you know, the chats. So, fellas, we have about uh, twenty minutes uh, left in the program. Yes. Uh, of course, Reed Mouse. It goes to show you how frequently he reads. Uh, he thought the name of the Stephen King book was Cujo. Isn't that a dog? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I do know. Uh, that. I mean, are you? This is the kind of operation I'm working around on a daily basis. Yeah, where yeah. where one of our primary coming up shortly here talk show host Reed Mouse thinks the name of the Stephen King book naming a car is Cujo. Oh my God. <laughs> um. All right, what's on your mind, fellas? You were starting to talk about a couple of things. Uh, I- anything out of the Kenny Anderson interview that pertained to Joe Burrow, his challenge this week. Um, you know, he talked about the team, how much he likes the team. Um, anything else? Casey? Well, um, the one thing that, you know, I, I've heard of Kenny Anderson. I knew he was a great Bengals legend and MVP. The one thing I didn't know, there's a couple things in that interview I didn't know about him. Um, 
one that he coached and that he coached for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought that was really interesting that he's won a Super Bowl with them. The other thing that was, there's two things. Um, One is his confidence in Joe Burrow and the team to get the job done. Um, Coming from an NFL legend, or should be legend, should be Hall of Famer. He is a legend, should be Hall of Famer, but he is a legend. He is a legend, and he has all this confidence in the Bengals. And just every time you hear someone that has that stature, has that level of respect, you just feel confident. You just get a vote of confidence for your team. And I have a lot of confidence now in my Bengals. Um, even not though not that you didn't before. Not that I didn't before. Now, the other thing I thought that was funny, though, was the story where he almost got knocked out on the bench. So I thought that was... Yeah. That was the freezer that bowl. That That's was, the most famous game in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals franchise. It wasn't a Super Bowl. And, and, and because of the weather, it might have been the most remembered game Super Bowls included in the history of the franchise. I remember um, that morning, my mom and my sister and I, my parents had had divorced and we're living with my mom and in in this this house in this little neighborhood out in Anderson. And we had a guy that lived two doors down that was like in his 60s. And Stan, he'd go out walking his dogs every day and he'd always have a cocktail with him about 5.30 in the afternoon. Love this dude, awesome guy. My best friend lived across the street about four houses down. Stan was a season ticket holder for the Bengals. So the morning of the freezer bowl, it's about eight o'clock in the morning. And there's a knock on our door. And I answer the door and it's Stan. And he says, Tom, too cold for my blood. You want two tickets to go down to the game? I said, well, I got to try to find somebody to go with me. I said, can I let you know in about 10 minutes? I'll walk down and knock on your door. He says, great. So I called my friend, lives across the street, four houses down. I said, hey, you want to go to the Bengals game? It's the AFC championship game. 59 below zero wind chill now. Okay, we're not talking about that nonsense we had two weeks ago where it's 25 below. This is double that. (laughs) He says, dude, have you been outside yet? I said, only to answer the door. But Stan came right in. He walked out. No. He said, tell you what, throw on some clothes, walk down the street. He had had to go out to do something for his family that morning. He said, just walk down the street. Tell me what you think. I didn't even get down the street. I turned around, walked back to my, walked back to Stan, said, Stan, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> it was that cold. You know, have you heard of that? Like at some point it's so hot that it doesn't matter how much more hotter it gets. Like it just still feels miserable. Absolutely. At what point does it get so cold that you just, like, is it negative 25 or is it negative 50? What what point is it where you literally feel the coldest? Like, you, when you walked out, did you – were you already getting icicles? Like, what, what was the – It's indiscriminate. There are people out there, but some of you have been around. We've had days, rare albeit, uh, that have not – I mean, that, that weather we had two weeks ago. You know, at night, that's 25 below wind chill. This is – 59 degrees below wind chill. The temperature, if I remember right, was negative nine. That was the temperature before factoring in the wind chill. And I'll never forget when the Bengals offensive line came out, and I wanted to ask Kenny this, but, but he got into the story about what happened on the bench. 
I'll never forget as long as I live, and I've heard Charger players interviewed about this. When the Bengals offensive line, and he ripped off the names, you know, Montoya and Munoz and Lapham, they come running out of the locker room with no sleeves on under their jerseys. Just skin, guns. You know, I know what it's like. But they come out, and you're like, and, and apparently the Chargers were like, you've got to be kidding. And they played the entire game. And you're just like, those are hit the button. The real man. Real men. Those were real men. Casey, you wouldn't be walking around in short sleeves at 59 below. No, I would not. Nor would I. Now, Paul, maybe. I do love the cold. I do love the cold. <laughs> love the cold. <laughs> yeah. It says the guy has sweatshirts in and his coat on. The, the, yeah, but the, you the can always put more clothes on. You can't take the clothes off. That's true. That's, That's true. true. That's true. Um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the comments in uh, Zach Taylor's press conference today. Where are they with all this stuff? I only continue to bring this up over. Now, I know a lot of you are, you know, you're already kind of tired of hearing it. And here we are four, five days out from the game itself. But look, this is, and, and there are other storylines. It was very interesting reading some of the comments made by the Buffalo Bills players. I haven't seen any of these, if they've even been asked about it. Uh, to the Bengals players about the, the question was posed what uh, to defensive players for Buffalo. Um, what did you learn from the nine minutes that you saw the Cincinnati offense? I mean, look, Bengals decided they won the toss. They decided to take the ball when they played Buffalo. They go right down the field. They're helped by a pass interference call, but they go right down the field touchdown. Bengals go, or Bills go right down the field, field goal. Bengals are going right down the field again before uh, DeMar Hamlin suffers a cardiac arrest, and of course that was the end of the game. But they were asking the safeties, a couple of veteran players back there for Buffalo, you know, what did you see? And, and they're like, look, it was, I think, 18 plays, I think, something like that, that they saw. Um, and, you know, typically you're going to see a team uh, as a defense an offense anywhere from 57 to 65 or more plays over the course of a game. So we're talking, you know, very small percentage. But they did say that the Bengals game plan, and of course when you go into a game, coaches for years and years and years, and Zach Taylor's no different, you script the plays out ahead of time, 15 for some, 25 plays for others. And they acknowledged that the Bengals script plays to start the game were spot on. They did ask Zach Taylor about this same topic yesterday. And he said, look, you know, our defense saw them for uh, one possession. They saw us for a possession and a half. Are you going to overthink this thing? and go back and try, well, they're thinking this, so we got to do that because they think we're going to do this and we should do that. You, you know how that goes. It, it's like a hamster on a, on a wheel. Is, is, you know, for my money, and I always mention the name Barry Alvarez all the time because he's one of the great coaches in the history of football. For my money, if they didn't stop it, why change it? 
Doesn't mean you have to run the exact same play on first and 10 or second and three or whatever it is. But if they did not stop you and Buffalo did not stop them. Now, the Bengals had two offensive linemen in that game that they might not have this week, which certainly could change things philosophically on what you want to do in protecting your quarterback. But if it worked, why change it? Agree? I agree with that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I need a button. I need a button for that. <laughs> well, why don't you record it today, and, and then we can just hit that. We need, to get, we need to get your tired on there, too. Tired. Tired. There's a whole lot of tired today, especially in that chat. I don't I, know. Maybe our guys are tired of the show, but they're tired. I will say this. I saw a – oh, there's a dollar. You will say this? I will say this. Um, I did see a particular stat that might give some Bengals fans hope. Since Von Miller has been out of the Buffalo Bills lineup, their pass rush ranks 27th in the league. So they are not particularly great when it's just a four-man rush. They have to fabricate their pressure, send the blitz, and we all know that Joe Burrow – Loves it when they blitz. So there is some hope there. But the, the downside of that is the guys that were in, Sharping, Adenogy, Carmen, um, they did not handle the blitz very well. So I'll put this to you guys in the chat. Um, what happened to the Bills defensive player that got hurt before DeMar Hamlin got hurt? I don't remember who that was or what. How yeah, I just read that was. today. You're right. I, I I did read that, and I'm drawing a blank myself. I don't remember who that was, but I remember my friend texting me like right after Demar Hamlin got hurt, and we didn't know that the game was going to be stopped. Um, I didn't know a ton about Demar Hamlin or how important he was to the Bills' defense, so I texted my friend and I said, "Hey, uh, what, what are we looking like here?" And he goes, "Well, we're down two starters now," and it was Poyer. No Poyer. No, 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 it was no, somebody it else. Wasn't Jordan Poyer. No. And he was one Boyer of the ones. Poyer may have been hurt at some point, but I'm not thinking about Jordan Poyer. He was the one that was uh, that was. Uh, he is one of the two safeties that was interviewed for this piece. I, I'm going to try to dig it up, but it, it's probably going to take too long uh, to try and find it again. Um, at least I don't think it was. I could be wrong, but I. There we go. Think, I I'm digging it up here. I don't think the, it was. The, 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 the title of the piece is "How the Bills Will Make the Most." of nine minutes of film ahead of rematch versus Bengals. So um, I'll find the name of the guy who was hurt here. Put the little Jeopardy music on here. <laughs> it is Teron Johnson. Okay. Teron Johnson. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yep, that was him. So I don't know what his deal is as far as his health is concerned for this game. Or, or if even, you know, he played last week. I wasn't even paying attention. I'd forgotten all about. Well, I just remember sitting there watching the game and seeing He played Bills. last week against the, the, the Dolphins. He okay. had seven tackles. Uh, he played last week. Okay. And he, in fact, he came back the, the, the week after the Bengals game and had eight tackles uh, against New England. So oh. he's okay. Okay, so he's fine. Yeah. So, you know, outside of Von Miller. But you, anyway, back to your point, uh, Casey. They've not had a good pass rush. No, and not, not just that either, but their offensive line was not great either, especially last week. I mean, seven sacks. Josh Allen could not do anything. 
So we're going to really need to rely on our, our defensive front, which I think they could get the job done to even this playing field out a little bit. Um, and I think I, the more and more I think about it, the more I think that this is going to be a very close match. Very close match. But I think the Bengals can get the job done. Joe Burrow protects the ball. And Josh Allen doesn't. It's just as simple as that. Right? I think Brian B. brings up a good point here. He says if the Bengals run the ball 25 times for 125 yards, they win the game. Oh, yeah. I can agree with that. That's a big if. So it's Wednesday. We'll do our second check-in before Friday. The Bengals winning on Sunday? I think they do. Tom? I told you my gut, my, my, my gut is, uh, you know, my gut is no, but I always have a hard time going with that gut knowing that the Bengals have Burrow. I just think the guy's a winner, man. I think the guy is, and look, I'm not breaking news here. I mean, wherever he's gone, he wins. Finds a way to win. So, <laughs> the dunce. He, he got, I mean, that mustache. That's Kenny Anderson esque back in the day. Tired. In oh, Buffalo. boy. Really tired. In Buffalo. But he's going up to Buffalo, so I give it up to him. I think there are going to be more Bengals fans there than you think. Well, tickets aren't. It's not going to make an, a significant impact in the game. I'm not applying that. Bills have great fans, and they're going to show up. But I think there are going to be some Bengals fans up there. Yeah, the tickets aren't out of this world. I know you have to get up there and you got to pay for the transportation, you got to pay for a hotel and all that. But the tickets are not, I mean, they're way too much money for what they should be with fees and everything else. I mean, football and sports should be much more affordable than this. But if we're talking relative to how much I thought they were going to be when I took a look at them real quick just to see if maybe I wanted to make the road trip, they're not terrible. They're under 300 to get in. Well, conversely, did you see the money grab on the potential game in Atlanta. Oh, no, I didn't see anything about that. Just that they were selling the tickets. I didn't see anything. That's the worst thing. I mean, I think the worst ticket, about as bad as you can get, right? The dome there in Atlanta where if Buffalo and Kansas City make it to the championship game, which we're hoping that that, of course, will be completely, you know, irrelevant. Um, that the worst ticket was somewhere in the neighborhood of between sixteen and seventeen hundred dollars. What? Yes. What? Yes. That's like a. You no, know, it's confirmed right here. A couple guys have already looked it up. Our boy, sir. Our guy, sir. Boy, wonder. A sir bomb. Sixteen hundred. That's just insane. Well, how is that? Tomas yeah. says well over a thousand for any ticket in what be considered the cheap seat. I, well, how do they I, get away with that? Like, what what are we doing here? Is that Ticketmaster? Like, what are we doing? I assume that it's probably some agreement that they had to make with the owners of those buildings because they weren't expecting another game. They got to pay the bills. They're probably just price gouging. It, it's all about the money on that at that point. A thousand plus. Well, he said sixteen hundred. So fifteen hundred plus. But legitimately, who is paying that money? Oh, there'll be people that'll pay it. I know there will be people that will pay it, but who is paying that to sit in the very top of the... It's not that worth it. Let me sit at home and watch the game, and I don't... It's not that worth it. 
You know, yeah. I, I, I've always wondered, and, and there are some people talking about it uh, now uh, in and around, you know, shows locally, nationally, for that matter. You know, I, I, I've always wondered, has this forced the NFL to do something they've been thinking about for a while? And that is moving some of these games to neutral sites. Strictly for the cash. That would suck. AFC, NFC championship games played at a neutral site in future years. I mean, I'm not saying they've ever talked about it. The guys in the NFL, whether you like them or hate them, look, they got a bunch of really smart guys running around up there that sit in those meetings with Roger Goodell. He's a really smart guy. A lot of people may not like him, and that's fine. Think what you want of But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, we don't have to worry a single thing about it. The Jags roll in and beat the Chiefs. Absolutely. Ben Galleys defeat the Bills. And, boys, we're sitting here a week from today talking about how much money you guys are spending on tickets. It's tough. Of course, it might be a chatterbox outing again for all the rest of you. Thanks to our friends at Betfred. Uh, it could be another one of those. Do we have a cherry on top today? We do. We have a great one. I, I, you know what? I'm hoping you guys are thinking like I was thinking because I saw a potential great oh. one, which right now I'm drawing a blank on. It's, pr- it's, it's probably not this. Okay. Well, what were you thinking of? I can't even remember. Okay. You get to be my age. You can't remember stuff. <laughs> well, this is, this is not that. But in the, in the leader of men column, this is... That, that's debatable. Be very careful. No, this... So, Jerome Tang is a first-year head coach at Kansas State. And last night... Basketball. Basketball. Roll the tape. First year head coach, Kansas State storms the floor last night. They beat Kansas. He gets up on the table after the game on the on the court, gets up on the scorer's table and takes a microphone. Just watch this. All right. The leader of men. What's his name? Jerome Tang. Jerome Tang. You know, he was, he was uh, playing off of some of the comments he had made uh, in honor of Martin Luther King, uh, who talked about love versus hate and doing things out of love. Uh, a wonderful message. Uh, and good for him. That's good stuff. That would have been is. cool to have been there last night. Yeah. And, and hey, you, you, right? I don't know about you. Now, you guys were all on that upset call last night. Am I right or wrong, Trace? Fowler? I was not. Yeah, I, I actually sent in the uh, the text message thread or whatever. I was up late, usually a night out for whatever reason. That's just the way that my uh, sleep patterns go. I'm up late at night and then wake up. And wondered why I didn't go to bed earlier every single day of my life for the most part. But I did see that line come out at midnight one night. 
uh, the other day, and I seen that it was like a one-point spread, and I just sent the group chat and said, I don't know what the, the analytics say, but I already know that Kansas State's going to find a way to win this game because I've seen it time and time again as a Kansas fan. So good for that guy. Good for Kansas State. They, it's almost like uh, you let little brother win every once in a while. Well, I mean, when we talk about that that conference, and we've talked about it a few times on the show, you guys have talked. I mean, it's every night. You know, Kansas State gets beat, what, three days ago against TCU, who's ranked, you know, they've only lost two games all year long, whatever it is. I mean, they get beat, and then you turn around three days later, you're playing your biggest rival, ranked second in the country. I don't know who their next game is, but but chances are it's against somebody that's ranked in the the top 15. I mean, Texas ranked number seven. They lost last night to Iowa State, who's ranked, I think, right? Number 12. Number 12. I mean, you know you follow it. Yeah, I mean, that league's incredible. The only thing I will say is that you're always judged in March, which is unfair or fair, however you want to look at it. So as much as I would like to sit there and say that that league's unbelievable and they're going to have, you know, whatever, eight teams in the Sweet 16, I don't know, you know. It could be one of those things where you think everyone in that league's good, a la Big Ten for years. Yep. And you go into the tournament, and next thing you know, you look at the second round of the tournament and, well, the real second round. I don't want to call it the fake well, second you're round. You're talking about the they, Sweet 16. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the second weekend. Yeah. Um, and the Big Ten's got like one team in there, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to have incredible success in the tournament. But the league's fun to watch. College basketball is electric. I love college basketball. Now, I know not everyone can get into it, but there's something about the way that those games are played and kids, and it's incredibly um, – Fickle is the word that comes to mind. It's just like one night kids play great, and the next night they look terrible. And Kentucky still sucks, if you don't know. Well, again, you just said fairly or unfairly, you get judged in, in March. We'll find out. It's true. Trace, are you happy that little brother got one? I mean, you got to give little brother a little little something. We do get to long. see them play, though. That's the cool thing. And hopefully, uh, for those that have watched the program a while back, we had the, you know, the bucket list bet, which we need to come up with another one of those here near in the near future. Um, but we won. We're going to Kansas. We're going to Kansas State, and uh, we got to figure out. That's one thing we do have to figure out. We got to figure out how this show's going to run. Uh, we have to teach Paul some tricks, Seho some tricks. Casey's going to have to unload a wealth of knowledge in the next few days, so we can keep this show afloat while we're gone. Well, as in we're, as in just Casey. Casey's like the backbone of the whole operation. Brandon and I will keep it running. (laughs) I don't turn this. I'm sure running right in the ground. I have no doubt about that. Um, All right, Uh, it's time for box lunch. Uh, Hump day trends you're starting with. Hump day. Yeah, we changed the first topic like six times. Well, I should say I did. Um, We were out there just trying to come up with some some relatively topical conversations. And there's some trends that are starting to set up for the weekend that I wanted to get into, whether we're buying or selling the idea of a couple games. One, okay. the Cowboys. I'm just saying the Cowboys are starting to look pretty good. I was talking to my guy last night, texting back and forth with our buddy Botch. Mm-hmm. Botch Lombardi. Yeah. He came on a show last week. He said it's going to be a massacre. Oh. He said Dallas is going to kill him. He <laughs> said Dallas is going to blow him Let's out of the go. gym. He said not even a game. And he almost predicted the, the, the Dak Prescott line exactly as it happened, minus the rushing touchdown. He said, Dak, four touchdowns, maybe a pick, maybe not, blowout. Is Vach one of those guys that's like Casey? And that's not a disrespectful no, thing. No. But is Vach one of those guys that is just like, 
The glass no. is always three quarters full. No. There's no, no chance in hell they're going to lose. The one thing about Vach is he is incredibly analytic and he gets a little touchy. He and I were going back and forth about this last night. And I really don't know the dude outside of him being on sure. our show. But, you know, he's one of those guys that, like, you know, feels like he's looked down upon because he's not in the quote unquote legacy media. He's a YouTube guy, is how he called it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like we are, right? Yep. And he said, you know, a lot of these guys. He said, you know, they, they don't give any of us uh, the time of day or any credit. You know, I mean, he's sitting down and looking at the all 22 for every single game, every single play. He's going to the pro football focus stuff, which, by the way, we're going to have Sam on there uh, on the show Friday from, from pro football uh, focus uh, to talk about the Bills-Bengals game and some of the other games. But he gets a little wound up about it. I mean, but, but no, to answer your question, he's not. Well, I'm just saying that things that we traditionally look at seems to be trending in the direction yep. for the Cowboys. I was shocked when I seen the line. That's something that I always say, too. Like, I think every sports fan that watches games regularly is relatively a square when it comes to, and I say squares, and just like a novice. I'm not really fully understanding of why a betting line is what it is. But what I'm saying is, is like, if you just go off your gut reaction to something and you're really passionate about a line being completely wrong – then you probably should just go the opposite direction. If you'd have told me the line was three points in San Fran, it, it, your, gut, your immediate gut reaction is like, you got to take San Fran, which just so you know, that's you just got to reverse that. And you're probably right. Ooh. Guess, okay. guess which offense has scored the most points since the beginning of November? That would be the 49ers. Dallas Cowboys, I believe. Really? Number one. All right. 32 points a game. Well, I know that I know this in the games that Brock Purdy has started. So yes. I can't. So that's now I think he's seven and zero as a starter, mm -hmm. including the playoff game. Right. I know that in those seven games, they have averaged almost thirty-seven a game. Oh wow! I was going all the way back from the beginning well, of November. Right. So that's a longer sample right, size. Right. Yeah. 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 Thirty-two points a game for for Dallas. So it's yeah. gonna be that's a good one. Yeah. It's a barn burner. We'll that see. might be the best game of the weekend. Oh yeah. Might be. I think, you know, we talked about it yesterday. The most eyeballs will be on that game because of the time slot it's on. But I think that the most intriguing game of the weekend is still the Bengals-Bills because of everything that happened right. here before. Absolutely. I'd bet Hamlin would be at the game. I hope so. I would bet he's going to be at the game and they introduce him before the game. I have no knowledge of that, no inside information of that. He's back at home. He's made contact with his team. Uh, I would bet money that he's at that game. And you know what? If he's able to, he should be at the game. I think it would be a beautiful moment for all fans of both teams and all fans of football if that young man was able to walk out onto that field, wave to the crowd, they go crazy before the kickoff. It'd be phenomenal. All right, boys. Gentlemen. Thank you very much. Case, Paul, Brandon. Thank you, Tom. Thank Brandon's you, Tom. got, you know. I walk in here some of these days, this desk, there's potato chips all over the place. There's computers laying around <laughs> like empty beer cans. It looks like a fraternity house in here when I come in here at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Guys, take it away. It's done.